from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. We're going to start the show off with Debbie Williamson, who is the new supervisor of of ACC officials. So the new supervisor of officiating for the ACC inside of this uh, this wonderful world of sports. And I'm very happy that Debbie's going to be joining us here in a second as the ACC supervisor of officials for women's basketball. So Debbie is coming on to the broadcast, and we're about to bring her on here. So we're holding here is, is Debbie Williamson. Hello. So we have Debbie now on the line with us. And, and Debbie, you know, we're live on on video here on Facebook.com backslash live now DT. And of course, we're live on mixlr.com backslash wake up call DT internet radio and, and on wake up call DT.com. Debbie, I know it's your first time on the show, but I'm extremely happy to welcome you here to this ACC position. And I'm happy to have you here on the broadcast. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And and Debbie, first and foremost, for you, uh, just bring me into, you know, that moment that this job was offered to you and, and that this opportunity opened up because I, I had an opportunity to speak with Charlene Curtis, who, who finished up as the ACC Supervisor of Officiating uh, just a, a few weeks back. What? How did it all come about that this job kind of came here and you had an opportunity? Well, Charlene's a really good friend of mine, and we've worked together really well uh, for many years from the time I got to the NCA years ago as the secretary rules editor into the national coordinator spot and uh, then as a colleague on the coordinator side. So, you know, she kind of had alluded to the fact that, you know, it was getting time, you know, or getting near time for her to move into a different stage of life, if you will. She calls it elderhood. I told her she wasn't old enough to be to be calling it elderhood, but <laughs> um, she had some things at her church and some other things that, of course, like lots of people uh, would like to do. But I really didn't anticipate it would be this year. And we had, you know, hung out at the Final Four. And I got a call the week after the Final Four that she was retiring. And it just broke my heart because I've said to her before, I would rather you stay and be my partner in this job and my colleague uh, because we work so well together than for you to leave uh, and take a chance on who's going to replace you. And even if it were me, I would, I would rather have her with me, but I also respect that she's, she's had many years in the game and has served it well. But so when she made that call, um, you know, I expressed some interest right away, of course, uh, because I have so much respect for the ACC and the, the job that they've done with women's basketball. And that's my passion. And what a better partnership, um, with the league than someone who shares that passion and has provided the support in every sense of the word support, uh, to the officiating program. And, um, things just moved forward through the interview process. And honestly, back to your question about the job offer, the actual offer. Um, I think my first sense when those words came across the phone was just, just humility. I just felt so humbled that I would be entrusted. And I felt that way, you know, with every opportunity that it's a huge responsibility and 
I take it seriously. So, you know, I was I was very thankful and very humbled by the offer. Speaking here with Debbie Williamson, the new ACC supervisor of officiating for women's basketball, and and like you said, you know, being humbled by that. Uh, you, you mentioned Charlene in, in your relationship with her and your friendship with her. So I, I wanted to go a little bit deeper into that and just what you can say. I mean, uh, her personality came through when she came onto the show, and it was clear her faith, you know, her her morality, her her strength, you know, in general, the fight that that she's had, you know, with, with, with so many different things, including a, a fight that unfortunately a lot of people have to go through when it comes in the world of cancer and, and whatnot. So we have seen Charlene just really uh, be a, a, a sign of, of true, you know, standing up to adversity and, and just uh, having faith and having hope and, and belief and, and trust in God and her maker and just what you could say about that, because, you know, she she definitely left us with a lot on this show to be grateful for. And, and it sounds like you've been grateful for her friendship for a long time. Well, you know, we we shared we share a faith in in Christ. And that was probably one of the catalysts behind what we the work that we did together in this role. I can remember years ago, um, like I said, what, I can't even think how far back it was. Um, but her saying, you know, I just feel like I'm on the road all the time and I'm not able to do as much at my church as I want to do. And, you know, she she's talking to me about this. And, you know, I am I live in Houston and I've got the Big East American, the A-10, the Ivy, and the Mac. <laughs> and I'm on four days a month. And, uh, and I said, I understand completely, but this is this is a ministry it's not just a job and and we just kind of had to stop at those words and go you know this is a position that God put us in and to be used for for whatever purpose and it doesn't matter if it's this or something else and it's been the history of our careers that we've been provided opportunities in basketball that we could have never planned <laughs> never ever planned um, when when I was a newlywed, my husband was a referee and I wouldn't even let him walk through the same room I was I was standing in if he had stripes on and I would refuse to wash his uniform. I mean, I just I couldn't stand the thought of referees. I was a coach <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we've talked about the transitions and the opportunities. But to Charlene's credit, um, you know, she's not having been on the floor even has had so much respect because she has been humble and she's been open to learning. And at the same time, you know, just a clear leader, a quiet leader. In fact, I was in her Bible study class last night. She was the teacher and I'm the student. And I thought, gosh, isn't this a a great parallel to what the last 10 years have been like in a lot of ways? Um, But yes, her faith has been strong and it's been tested through, you know, through lots of adversity and, She's just been herself the whole time, and honestly, as I speak with commissioners and of the leagues that she served and the commissioners that I serve, and they ask about the transparency piece, are we still going to have this, and are we still going to have that, and you know, my response is, I don't really know another way. Um, if we can't speak truthfully, um, then I, I don't know another way, and, and when you speak to the hope uh, I don't have lots of answers even at this point in the game, and I never yeah. do. It doesn't matter if it's one league or five or eight or nine or however many. There's some things we just can't foresee. But in the end, 
um, she and I do share the same hope. We share the same mission and the same purpose, and it's bigger than basketball. Absolutely, and, and speaking here once again with Debbie Williamson, the new supervisor of officiating for women's basketball inside of the Atlantic Coast Conference, and, and like you said, you know, serving a, a bigger purpose. What has faith meant in your life when, when you look back on, you know, really the road to where you are today and, and everything that you've been through? What can you say about your faith in God, and, and when was that instilled in you, and, and kind of what it's meant to you over time? Wow, you know, I can think back. I grew up in South Louisiana in a, um, in a really, really small town, maybe, I don't know, 1,500 people. I mean, I was the largest graduating class in high school at 34. And, um, you know, all we had was, ba- well, we had sports, but basketball. And and it was, a rough, it was a rough time. It was kind of a rough environment. We didn't have really much of anything. And we had this little Baptist church in town that was a mission church because it's primarily a Cajun French um, Catholic culture. And my grandmother was there. And I can remember that that I didn't understand a whole lot of things, but there was something different about her and about the other women and the, my other grandmother who was a you know, strong servant in the Catholic Church, just something different about those two women that was not just because they were my grandmothers, but they had hope and they had peace, even though there was um, a lot of alcoholism and, and, and other things in our family going on and um, just separate people separated and just a lot of conflict. And I think at a really young age, when I looked at it, I thought, what is different? And I can remember someone say from the pulpit saying, and you know, one of those kids bored to death in church, um, saying that there's a God sized hole inside of every one of us. What are you trying to fill it with? And I thought I'm filling it with basketball, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or I'm filling it with some other, you know, athletic event because I need a scholarship. I need a ticket out of here. And, um, and I got that, but with that, before I even left, um, the, the guy said, there's a God sized hole. What are you filling it with? And you can try to fill it with everything you want to fill it with. But the only thing that will ever satisfy is a personal relationship with Christ. And if you believe that he came and lived and died for your sins to pay a price and you want to, will put faith in him, um, and trust him, then you can have the peace. And I did. I did in that moment at 14. Now, there are lots of rocky roads and, you know, certainly far, far from perfect. And if anything, I've come to understand grace being the uh, unmerited favor. Uh, I've understood it more and more as I've aged and raised kids and been through all the conflicts that are in and outside of this business. That's my first encounter. And then getting to Louisiana Tech, uh, as a, a, a scholarship softball player walking on the basketball team, there was a strong sense of faith on that team and a core group and um, got to learn the Bible, learn what all that meant, but also working at Canna Cup camps in Missouri, a Christian athletic camp and playing with for athletes in action in South America and news release basketball two summers in Europe. And then um, seeing how to, to walk in that and be myself and, and, that's just carried through over the last 40 years of just living as a human being, failing, getting up, going forward, but having hope and peace that I'm forgiven, 
and that their grace has been extended to me and I should be extending grace to others. That coming from Debbie Williamson and, and Debbie, uh, I mean, uh, I know this is the first time that we have spoken, but you know, I have to, I have to thank you really honestly and truly for what you're sharing here this morning. And, you know, kind of there, it's always a perfect time to, to talk about God and, and, and faith and, and the things that truly matter and, and kind of being filled up with all of that. And, and for you to, to have all of this, to, to have this connection. And like you said, it's a rocky road, you know, things happen over time, but how has it helped to establish you as a leader, having such a strong faith and a belief and, and knowing that, you know, there, there is somebody out there looking out for all of us. What has that done to establish a leadership in you that you're proud of? Well, I answer to a higher authority than anybody that sits at a desk on earth. And um, I can remember my husband was one of the first Christian guys I ever dated. I thought he was so strange. Uh, the first time, you know, we, he, well, he was on the men's team. And, um, and back then you ate at a training table, you know, when athletes had their own place to eat. And, and he lived at home because he was a hometown boy in Ruston. And I remember telling one of the basketball guys, hey, give me a guy with that guy. Give me a date with that, <laughs> that uh, short guy that um, keeps jacking the ball up. And it goes in a whole lot. So I need, you know, so we, we played pickup ball for four years and that was our date life. But I can remember him coming over in the morning doing a devotional with me, which I thought was so weird. But he and and praying together which i had never done that either but i can remember him saying it's a triangle debbie i'm at the bottom one bottom corner you're at one bottom corner and the closer we get to god the closer we'll be together and you know we're going to celebrate 33 years here next month but what it also said to me too is what i've learned in this in in just through coaching and all the other things, the officiating side and this side is I'm accountable. And, and I've, we've raised our kids this way. If we could raise them to know that they're accountable, not just to us, but someone much greater who knows their future and holds their future. And and Jeremiah talks about, for I know the plans I have for you. It's, it's a plan for a future and a hope, not for calamity. And to say to them, there is someone who sees everything. Where for them to understand, it's not about what you can do when you're away from us. Same thing for me personally. It's not about what I'm going to do when no one is looking. Because someone is always looking. And that doesn't scare me. He already knows that I fail and I'm, I'm accepted and I'm forgiven. So all I can do is just turn my day over and I start my day every day, protect me from myself. So when it comes to a job that's about integrity, um, like I said, I, I have failed. I will fail. I will make some mistakes and do some things that I will wish that I hadn't, or maybe say something I wish I had unintentionally. Um, but just letting go of all that and saying, I'm yours today. And, uh, and I've going to, I'm going to do my very best to be light. Uh, and in this role, when we're talking about whistles and people that make mistakes and, and when I, people apologize for me for mistakes, I say, I'm in the business of, of working with people who make mistakes and I make mistakes. Yeah. And so when it comes to black and white stripes, things aren't always black and white. And so it's an opportunity to live my faith every day because it's about, again, grace and unmerited favor, but it's also about accountability. Uh, I am accountable for what I say and what I do. 
and I have to answer for it and I need to take accountability. And that's also the other piece to this business um, as, as officials and as a leader in this industry, what my faith has also done is, is kept me accountable uh, for what I'm responsible for. So it's not just, like I said, who's in the office and what we're doing in the office, but it's about, it's about a bigger picture. And I take very seriously, you know, even if it's somebody doesn't get the same number of games they had last year or somebody gets more, I get that this affects their families. It affects a lot of, a lot of pieces. And, and I understand the responsibility, but I've been called to lead and, and I've been created to lead and, um, and I've been equipped. Speaking here with, with Debbie Williamson, the ACC new supervisor of officiating for women's basketball. Uh, Debbie, when, when you look at this job and you look at uh, officiating in general, it, the world that we live in today, well, let me start back. So, you know, obviously officials have been criticized forever since the institution of officiating. There's been criticism now in the world we live in today with social media and the instantaneous response, you know, within seconds, within a moment's notice, somebody can say something and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and so on and so forth. What is your advice to your officials? What is your advice to your children, to yourself, to your husband, you know, to, to me, to, to people listening about how to deal with the fact that we live in a world where people are so quick to judge, so quick to say something negative, and it's so easy to reach out from a total stranger to a total stranger and say something hurtful. You know that officials don't always get respect, and in the world we live in today, it is so quick that we can see that. So what's your advice to not only your officials, but to people in general on how to deal with the fact that negativity seems to get through pretty quickly these days? Wow, that's loaded. Um, my, my first thought was when in doubt, don't, but I also understand people get People get very, very angry. You know, I, I say to people a lot of times, and, and I go around and visit with team, entire teams and sit in front of their players, and I've, coaches have been so gracious to allow me to have some time, uh, in what I call in their family or in their home, their basketball home. And when I'm talking to people, you know, it's, it's in the heat of the moment, it takes a lot of discipline to not say what's going through your head, whether it's like you said, on my device or, or with my mouth, it takes a lot of discipline. And I encourage people to, to practice discipline, not only in their workouts and all the physical piece of it, but also with their tongue, you know, and the Bible talks about the tongue being the rudder behind your big, a great ship and it steers the ship. Um, Gosh, there's so many things that are going through my head when it talks, when we speak about short fuses and people just going off on people. And, and I think that's the most, that becomes the weight of this job is just how heavy the, the language gets when people start doing what you're talking about, where they feel like it's, they just start spewing um, poison in another person's direction and the fact that when people put on stripes they all, all almost to a lot of people are not human anymore but I encourage people to remember that and I, I've tweeted this before refs are people too 
you know, we had an official who was struggling with cancer and, and no one knew it. And, um, she had, uh, come off of a scrimmage and in the middle of a scrimmage, something wasn't feeling right. Long story short, you know, had a rod put in her hip or in her femur so that she could take radiation in the middle of the season, otherwise completely healthy and, um, returned to the floor after her, I forget how many treatments of radiation. And, you know, I'm sitting there listening to what people say to referees. And I've said this to our coaches before in coaches meetings, spring meetings. I said, none of you knew that she's out there. She's fighting for her life last month with X number of treatments of radiation. And she's back on the floor and I'm grading every call, correct calling, correct calling, correct no call. And her call accuracy is as good as it has ever been a final four official. And yet people are saying things that they think are, they is permitted to, to talk, to say to referees. So I guess the answer to your question is if I could say anything is that refs are people too. If it's not something you would say, or if it's not a name, you would call your wife or your kids, or even if someone were screaming these things at your kids, you know, would they, would they, how would you feel? If it were directed at, at not just you, because people, you know, that just rolls off people, but treat these people like you would want people treating your kids and saying things to your kid, your own kids. Um, I, I just, it's a shame. It's a shame that society has accepted that it's okay to scream at the, and my dissertation, part of my dissertation, well, my dissertation was on spectators, but part of it was, you know, just a cathartic effect of people being able to get up and feel anonymous and scream things they've wanted to scream at their boss all day long, you know, <laughs> at referees. Um, and it's sad that we've lived in a culture that's been accepting of this and that that we could curse and say, I mean, I can't even be, you would be appalled at the things. And, and I actually surveyed our officials and said, tell me things that the worst things that have ever been said to you. And, um, and it, it's, I can't even repeat them. It's been so bad. Now, I think in this culture, people have come around to understand somewhat when I sit in a coach's meeting and go, this is unacceptable. And I've seen coaches work really hard to change behavior um, because I've also said to them that you're raising the next generation of, of coaches and, and of spectators of a sport and a game that we love. Can we do it? And, and goodwill and good faith of, hey, let's treat people, including the ones in Stripe, like we would treat each other. So I think the whole golden rule thing is for real. Um, treat others as you would want to be treated. So that is my bottom line here on how I would advise people. And, yes, it applies to Stripes. Absolutely. And, and I honestly, you know, I, I couldn't agree more with the statement that you made and, and, and what – just the reality of it all is that, that when you wear stripes, people are not treated as people. And, and, and like you said, would you say it to your own kids? Would you would you want somebody to say this to your children? Would you want somebody to say this to you, to your husband, to your wife, whoever it may be, to your grandmother, to your mom or your dad? So, you know, those words should ring true. And, you know, you, there's always a, a hope that, and unfortunately, until it's done to somebody, sometimes those people don't understand. But, you know, the reality of it all is we're all people. And we all have the same needs. And I find that funny when there's political debates and, and all this stuff going on. I go, we want the same stuff. 
You know, we want yeah, yeah. we want to be safe. We want to be healthy. You know, we want to have we want to have good health care. We want to know that our kids are safe. We want to get a good education. We want to have enough money to be able to travel and and enjoy life and do the things we want to do and pay our bills. And, you know, we, we want to we want to sleep on a nice pillow in a nice bed in a nice neighborhood. We're all we're all the same, Debbie. And it, I find it very strange that we don't think about that more. Yeah. Yeah, and I appreciate the question and the opportunity to share that piece. And, you know, because I've done it, d- done, I don't want to say done it all, but on the on the basketball side of things, being a player, a coach, a referee, and now a coordinator of officials and, and all the different roles that I've played in this game, you know, God's provided me an opportunity where I can sit in the coach's room and go, I got technicals as an assistant from popping off at referees. I, you know, I, <laughs> I understand the frustration, you know. Uh, and, yeah. and I, I joke about the story I told you earlier about my husband refereeing and, and just the anger that I felt with looking at these stripes and I can understand really and truly, um, what makes them angry many times and, uh, and the frustrations that we sometimes as stripes cause, uh, through our mistakes, but then also through our communication skills. So I spent a great deal of time and money, my own money paying people to come in and talk to us and assess us, our personalities, talk about how to better communicate, how to know ourselves, know how we're coming off. Uh, Because, again, being in this position, it's about education. As much as we can change what we're doing to make us better, and I'm talking about the uh, referees now, uh, as people, and I say to them, you're not going to be someone different just because you can't be someone different just because you put a striped shirt on. And, uh, you know, it's so funny because I, I do these these camps for former players. And um, I had I had nine last week in New York City and five of them had never, ever put a shirt on or held a whistle. And I actually had to tell them to turn their whistle right side up because it can be upside down. I had to remind them as they were running down the floor, please put the whistle in your mouth because that's your job. And we all laughed about it, but these are Division One players who've been running up and down this floor with, with people putting the whistle on them, and they got an opportunity to do it, and they were blown away at a how much fun they had, and b how much, how excited they were about learning something new. But there was also no one yelling at them, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I joked. I said, "Yeah, you, you know." A lot of people don't want to do this because they've been yelled at for four years. They, and I tell our coaches, they don't want to come out here. We've we've got a sh- not a shortage, but we, we won't try to get former players out here. But they see how people treat us, and they don't want to be treated that way. And so if I can get eight or nine or ten every summer to at least try it, then maybe we can work through this other stuff, and maybe in time people will, will back off on the abuse side um, as a – as the um, chair of the National Association of Sport Officials, outgoing in July, 30,000 member strong organization uh, for officiating across sports all over the world. We did a survey, 17, over 17,000 responses. And what was glaring is that people, that officials, uh, what large percentage has been afraid, have been afraid uh, for their safety. In this business, and we talk about, you know, retaining people, getting them in, A, B, retaining them. And a lot of it is uh, the issues that we're finding is uh, the abuse, verbal and physical. And and how do we know it's not going to become physical? 
it's it's a real it's a real issue besides just the humane part of this uh, topic yeah. uh, as far as you know what good people know they shouldn't be doing and choose to do um, there's a real threat uh, to our safety in in a lot of places in this business Google I guarantee you there was something that came up I can't remember now last week and the week before where some officials are hospitalized yeah this is real and it goes beyond just you know I feel better when I yell ugly things and it obviously needs to change and it needs to be addressed and and I and I and your leadership I, I believe and I can feel it through you I mean I can hear you saying it on the phone here that that passion and that desire that drive for equality of of officials in the in the sense of you know being treated as someone else would want to be treated and and, and re- recognizing that these are people these are not robots these are not aliens you know to to have to have respect for them to treat them as equals and to protect their safety and and to know that you know when they leave that gymnasium or wherever they may be whatever stadium and arena that they're in that they can go home safely and soundly you know, I, I do appreciate the fact that I sense that from you, you know, that's going to be a part of your leadership, which goes beyond answering questions from coaches on why was that call called with 152 left to go in the game. So uh, I do, before I, I let you go, Debbie, I want to ask you, you brought up your, your husband, Stan, uh, Stan and, and your children, Courtney, Mark and Nathan, just, I, I'd love to, to hear that side of it from you being a mom and, and being a wife, because you said you're home for four days out of the month, you, you know, you, you're, you're traveling, you got a lot of stuff going on. How do you balance it all? How do you, how do you be a mom and, and, and how do you, you know, be a wife and, and have some time for yourself, which is all obviously very important, too, as you're living your dreams and living a passion. How do you get to do all the other stuff and, and, and just what you can say to me about the balance with your family? All right. I appreciate that question. Um, in 1989, I had been coaching as a Division One assistant for five years, and we decided to have have our family and uh, or start a family. And we were blessed to, to have Courtney in 1989. And I coached one more year uh, from home. Back then you had what was called a restricted earnings coach. And so I could do a lot of it from home, went straight to part-time. And honestly, I'd had a flat on a recruiting trip in the back roads of South Georgia, you know, like two years before and said, if I, if, if something happened to me right now, no one would know where to start looking. And if I had a child at home, she would be without her mother. And I made a commitment in that moment that, and I had never before really kind of thought through it you know I just would work and I was going to pursue my career and but I in that moment I thought you know what if if I'm blessed with a child I'm pouring my heart I mean there's I'm all in you know and um so I went part-time and then had several really small part-time jobs I coached a boys basketball team I did whatever I could do to be at home with my kids and homeschool them until Courtney was a freshman in high school so this being on the road thing is is not a picture of my entire career. And I said, to, I, I, and that's not making a deal with God, but I said, I am giving back the thing I love most, which is the game. And I am hoping at some point to be a mom and to fulfill my role as a wife and a mother. And at some point in time, I hope I get it back. But if it's your will that I don't, I'm good with it because I know it's your will that I raise my own kids. And I did that. And we, um, I followed Stan around through his jobs in athletics. He's a deputy AD at Houston Baptist right now and uh, followed him around and um, 
said, I will go wherever you will go and I will support you and I will be the wife and the mother that I've been called to be. And, um, when he decided to be an AD, I knew that I couldn't coach for him. So I went to school and got my doctorate Think while the kids, I was six months pregnant with the third, uh, teaching part-time at a junior college, but again, being home a majority of the time. And when I didn't have the kids, he had the kids. So it, there was no family near. We were uh, making the best that we could out of the whole deal. And I thought, I'll just teach wherever he goes. And um, and then that's when I started refereeing. I missed the game so much. And I could actually referee a little bit and still be at home with the kids. And by the time he got home from work, I could run down the street and do middle school games and realize that, you know, I could make a little money doing it as well. And so we we were juggling all of this, but I was home when he was out traveling and doing his thing. Now, fast forward, we um, the kids are in college. They're living at home. We get He gets a job in Alabama. We leave two kids in college in North Carolina and go to Alabama. And I remember sitting when the NCAA offered me the national coordinator job, and I was not traveling really that much at all. My youngest was a freshman in high school and he walked in in typical Alabama fashion. And this kid is, is 23 today, 20 turned 23 today. And uh, he said, what are y'all talking about? And I said, well, I've been offered the national coordinator job at the NCA and I'm just debating whether or not I take it. And he goes, what do you think? I said, I, I've decided I'm not going to take it because I gave up my career a long time ago. So I could be with you guys, um, at your games and be in the stands and my referee career had kept me away from some championships and I backed off of that went to work as the rules editor so I could come off the road same reason I had done years before and he said mom I'm on a now some people some people will not believe that this is what he said but in his his own this is a quote mom I'm about to be 16 in June I ain't gonna be home no way (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, oh, geez, I got I better stay home and work on this this language that we got going here. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and he said, no. And then he said, no, seriously, he said, when will this come open again, this opportunity for you? I said, maybe never. And I'm, I'm totally fine with that. And, you know, I we talked about it. And I thought, you know what, let's. I think this is what I need to do and just be home at every football game and be home. And I was a scorekeeper for his basketball team all the way through high school. My husband was coaching. (laughs) So we made it work. And so this travel schedule that I have now has only been like the last three years. And my husband's been this kind of supportive support system to me all along that I've been to him all along and, uh, and we work through it. So he meets me on the road when he can and brings me clean clothes. And <laughs> um, we found a way to make it work. Now we have a grandson and um, he, our grandchild lives an hour away from the ACC office. It's a beautiful thing. You know, it, not only did I get the game back, but I've got another child that's uh, graduated from college living in Raleigh. So I'm getting things back that were priorities you know, when my priority system uh, was to be all I needed to be for them, and things are coming back little by little. Well, and it's funny, too. We talk about faith and, and belief in God, and, you know, you gave something up to to gain something else. You, you, you made a sacrifice so that you could be there, and how funny God works that you made that sacrifice, and he brought it all the way back to you now. So it was almost that thanks of, okay, you know what? I saw the sacrifice. I saw what you did. I saw what you gave to something that you love. And now I'm going to give it back to you. And 
I, I have this crazy belief that somehow, some way, we get everything we're supposed to get in due time yeah. if we do it the right way. So, in due time and in the right time, I would never have been prepared to do the things that, first of all, I would have never been able to draw this out any better um, and, and wouldn't want to. There was a bigger plan all along. I knew it. And, and I learned that in early days, you know, walking through the fire on some things that I have to trust what I can't see. And I'm not smart enough and I'm not good enough to be able to plan my own future. But I'm going to be obedient in today and I'm going to do my very best and I'm going to pick myself up whenever I get knocked down. And I'm going to trust in someone who has my future. And, and it's not going to be easy. That's the other thing. You know, we're not even talking about all the hardships here. Um, and that's why I can look at officials and, and I can't say, hey, I understand exactly where you are. I don't. Everybody's been called to do what they've been called to do. And, um, and it's on me to be responsible with the things I've been entrusted with. And, um, and, and that's a lot. And, and to be who I need to be to the people I need to be and to be light. And, uh, and to do my job and to work really hard at it. But it's never going to be more important than my family. And if at any point that this is too much for my family, I've walked away before, I can walk away. It, it's, it's not – things don't last. Um, but I feel like this is where I've been called to be, and the family's been super supportive of that. And um, that's the beauty of raising kids that <laughs> – understand mission and purpose and have their own individual walks with the Lord. That coming from Debbie Williamson and a tremendous conversation and Debbie in closing, like you said, you feel that this is the, this is the good place to be. And you've been welcomed with open arms from the ACC, from the Atlantic coast conference as the new supervisor of officiating for women's basketball. What are your words to the ACC, to Boston college, Clemson, Duke, Florida state, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Miami, North Carolina, NC State, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest. When I name all that off, I feel like I'm naming the entire country. This is a big conference. This There is a lot of talent across all different sports and all different pieces of the spectrum, including women's basketball and especially in recent history here with Notre Dame and Louisville and whatnot and successes of Syracuse with Coach Q getting to the championship game just a few seasons back. What are your words to the ACC and what are your words to these teams that are now going to be looking to you as a leader? Well, you know, you're reading that list and I just get goosebumps. And I mean, <clears throat> I have served this game. I can tell you when I picked up a ball in third grade in one fashion or another and, and, not, and with my whole heart um, and have been so I'm so grateful for the different roles and opportunities that I've been allowed to serve because it's prepared me to be able to have conversations with uh, lots of people about the same, their same passion. I share that same passion, but um, you know, I feel the same way about coaches, uh, even the coaches I will never speak to. I have such a respect for the job that they do. And I want to be the kind of support that I can be on the side, on the other side of the ball. Um, that I've been called to be and in, in our, in our days of service. And it doesn't matter if it was my coaching days, my playing days, you know, there were opportunities to celebrate. There were opportunities to walk through tough times. There were opportunities and they, those are opportunities too. There are opportunities to, um, to learn and to grow. 
and I'm excited about sharing that with with the ACC and the support that the Commissioner Swafford and um, and you know we need to mention Norlin Finch down the hall packing up her office. Her last day is Friday. I feel like a page of history is being turned, and um, and I was. I was somewhere in the early chapters doing some other things, preparing me to be on the page that's that's opening up, and um, and it's a privilege, and it's a privilege to be able to serve under Mary McElroy here, who's replacing Norlin, and this is a job that Commissioner Swafford has done and put together women's basketball staff with Kelsey Harris and Brad Hecker. It's a phenomenal place to work, and I've known it before. I, I mean. For as long as I can remember, that if you loved women's basketball and if we looked at, at the support that they've provided in this as a full-time position uh, and what they've poured into their programs and to the officiating program, uh, it's it's just – it's an honor and, and it's a responsibility. I've got work to do and and, I'm, and I don't know anybody that, that wants to work as hard as I work. <laughs> I've had people say that. But um, – I am here to serve. That's what I would like to say. And, uh, and I'm excited about the opportunity and, and welcome the challenges as well. That coming from Debbie Williamson here this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, your new ACC Supervisor of Officiating for Women's Basketball. Debbie, I want to say thank you. I feel like those two words aren't enough. I feel like in a way I, I, I know you uh, better than than, uh, than some people that have been in front of my face. So let me say that I, I look forward to the opportunity of, of, of meeting you face-to-face and, and shaking your hand and, and thanking you eye-to-eye for this conversation today because it has gone a long way, far beyond basketball and, and the world of sports, and that's what Wake Up Call is all about. That's what this show is about is where sports meets life. So I, I want to thank you for it. I feel very blessed and privileged to cover the ACC, and I'm thankful that the ACC, because of that, uh, brought me to this conversation today, and, and I look forward to getting to meet you sometime soon. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate your uh, the questions that you had. Allow me to share sport and life, and um, and that's what I do, and, and I'm no different than you or anybody else in that respect. So I thank you for the conversation and welcome at any time anytime thank you so much thank you debbie and god bless and happy birthday to your son and i look forward to talking with you soon likewise thanks bye-bye take care that coming once again from debbie williamson here on the live line of wake up call with dan satora that's that's one of those i mean that's that's why we're here right that's 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 why i'm here and it just gives me chills you know it, it gives me such pause in my life and for all the right reasons and I feel I just feel very honored and I feel very very honored and privileged to 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 have this moment I I'm honestly uh very thankful and uh, to Debbie Williamson I mean this is the 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 people that have been on this show have been absolutely amazing and the women that have been on this show. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, uh, to Tim and Tim, thank you for your message on Facebook. I much appreciate it. Uh, women and, and men and children and, and different colors and backgrounds and, and economic statuses and sexual orientations and religions and politics and, and everything. I mean, we're, we're, we're all different, but we're all the same. And uh, that's what I was saying to Debbie. We, we all genuinely want the same stuff. And, 
the the women that I've had on the show because it's very important to me to instill that 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 men have to be you know it's not just a, a woman's movement of equality for women it's a it's a women's equality movement for all people and and I've taken it very seriously because I was raised by two of the most beautiful wonderful amazing funny talented warm kind positive open spiritual thankful women that I've ever met and my mom and my g-mama so to Charlene Curtis and, and Debbie Williamson and, and Katie Kalinsky and 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 to Tara Machaco and Gabby Holko and Carrie Brown and 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 just literally everyone that has been uh, on this show uh, all of the wonderful wonderful people we've had and the wonderful women that we've had and the, the, the conversation with Debbie like this is why we do it and this is why a wake-up call is here and I just I mean, this is the true definition of why I do my show, is what you just heard today. And that was all real and, and genuine, as it always is. There's, there was no, I mean, I just, it's just picking up the phone and, and having a conversation. So thank you, thank you to Debbie. That was beautiful, and I appreciate it so much. Let's take a fast break. Plenty coming up in the second hour. Full Syracuse stuff. A Syracuse former player and a potential Syracuse incoming player, both at the same position, wide receiver. Zion Jackson's been offered by Syracuse. He's coming up to visit after my mom's birthday after July 24th. Steve Ishmael played at Syracuse, record, record setter for receptions in a season, passing Amba Adetawo, and record setter for career receiving yards, passing Marvin Harrison, and then going over to the Colts where Marvin Harrison went after Syracuse as well. So big time conversations coming up after this fast break. Stay tuned right here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Whether you're on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt, wakeupcalldt.com's homepage where the MixLR feed is embedded, or you're here with us on Facebook Live on facebook.com backslash wakeupcalldt, you're going to hear the fast break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Thank you so much for tuning in to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, and God bless as always.